New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. A few years before the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh wrote a letter to King with an unexpected outcome. The two men met in 1966 and became not only allies in the peace movement, but friends as they set aside their differences in religion, culture, and the fact that their countries were at war with one another. The two men bonded over a shared vision of what the late Congressman John Lewis called the beloved community. King was assassinated on April 4, 1968, and Thich Nhat Hanh went on to live for more than five decades in which he continued to work on behalf of the beloved community that consisted of the teachings of overflowing love and compassion. The vibrancy and inspiration of their friendship is alive today and its practical implications as we strive together to embrace a life more deeply connected with the capacity for transformation in this imperiled world. To guide us is our guest today, the Right Reverend Dr. Mark Andrus. Bishop Mark Andrus is the eighth bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of California, elected in 2006. Raised among the hills and lakes of East Tennessee, Bishop Mark developed an early love for the beauty of the earth and a call to protect it. His activism, grounded in contemplative prayer, has focused on key issues related to peace and justice, including immigration reform, civil rights for LBGTQ plus persons, health care, and climate change. Mark has led the Episcopal delegation to the annual UN Climate Conference. In service for presiding Bishop Michael Bruce Curry, Bishop Mark serves as representative to the Anglican Communion Environmental Network. He's the co-author with Reverend Dr. Matthew Fox of the book Stations of the Cosmic Christ and the author of Brothers in the Beloved Community, The Friendship of Thich Nhat Hanh and Martin Luther King Jr. Join us 
for the next hour as we explore the significance of the friendship between Thich Nhat Hanh and Martin Luther King Jr. and how it continues to serve as inspiration for us in these most challenging times with our guest, the Right Reverend Dr. Mark Andrus. I'm speaking with Bishop Mark in his home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Bishop Mark, welcome. Thank you. I'm so honored and delighted to be with you, Justine. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's my honor as well. This is such an extraordinary piece of work that you've put together with all the research that you've done for us and framing it in such a beautiful way between these two men and how they really impact us today. So I want to go back into a bit of your history. Tell our listeners how you first became aware of Thich Nhat Hanh first, and then we'll talk about Dr. Martin Luther King, but first Thich Nhat Hanh. I was a young Episcopal priest. Uh, I was ordained in uh, 1987, and after I served as a curate uh, at a church in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, uh, I came back, my wife and children and I came back to Virginia, where I had gone to seminary, and across the fence from Virginia Seminary is uh, Episcopal High School, uh, a boarding school, and I became the chaplain there. And I went to a bookstore in Alexandria, Virginia, and I saw a book uh, with the title Peace is Every Step by an author unknown to me, Thich Nhat Hanh. This was in 1990 and 1991. And I bought it and I carried it around campus with me uh, and it caught everyone's attention. The Latina women who were working in the kitchen and the dining room, the refectory, they wanted to know about it. The faculty that I worked with. I mean, they were they were seeing the title of the book. They were seeing the title. They said, tell me about that. Uh, That just the title caught their attention. The students, same thing. I want to know about peace in every step. And uh, so I, I was witnessing the power of simply that title. And uh, I found the book uh, luminous and um, lucid and in its simplicity, really profound. So I went to hear him. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh spoke at National Cathedral uh, that next year. And I, I went on my own. I took Metro into the city. And it was an extraordinary experience. Uh, he was by himself, he was introduced, and then he took his seat on a cushion in front of a completely packed cathedral. And it, you know, it holds it's a it's a big space, uh, three thousand to five thousand people, um, and and we were completely silent. And he spoke. It was a pregnant silence. He spoke um, uninterruptedly, quietly, but uh, connectedly, and um, compellingly for close to an hour and a half or more. And I was captivated. And then he came back the next year 
and spoke again in D.C., but this time at Washington Hebrew Congregation, which is a very large synagogue. Again, the space is about the same size as National Cathedral, and again, completely packed. And um, so I was hooked. Um, I read more of his books, uh, uh, not all of his books. Um, he's the author of over 100 uh, titles, um, but but I kept following him, and I practiced mindfulness, uh, following his instructions. I became a person who followed Plum Village, uh, his community in France, in the south of France. Um, right, so that's how I came to know Thich Nhat Hanh. I would think, uh, Bishop Mark, that he's sitting up there on the cushion, and he was not a large man. He was wow. small in stature, and mm -hmm. Not in spirit, but in no. stature, that would be very different if you're in in that cathedral or even in the synagogue that he's not standing at some podium, you know, right. kind of expounding. Right. So when you just the visual that you were giving us of him, just this monk in their very simple, simple robes, mm -hmm. sitting on a cushion. It's a whole different posture, isn't it? Um, it it's, it's, as you say, um, embodying humility, uh, simplicity, uh, uh, mutuality. Uh, he's one with you, uh, not above you. That's a, that's a great observation. I know that later on, you became the auxiliary bishop of Alabama, and you moved to Birmingham. So I know that you were there. In the book, Brothers in the Beloved Community, you start off with that letter that Thich Nhat Hanh wrote to Martin Luther King about the about something for many of us for many of us remember seeing the photograph of Tikton Duck who had immolated himself who had burned himself up in protests or in not not pro well the letter says more than than it was a, it was a loving gesture Mm -hmm. It was hard to recognize that as a loving gesture. Yes. So let's talk about that letter that was written to Martin Luther King and why Thich Nhat Hanh might have chosen King as a recipient of that letter. Mm. That's a, a very uh, insightful question. Um, so the, the letter was an appeal to, to Dr. King from Thich Nhat Hanh based on uh, Thich Nhat Hanh seeing the power of leadership uh, that, that Martin Luther King Jr. was uh, exercising within the civil rights movement, uh, his ability to mobilize hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people for a cause of civil rights in the United States. And, um, and he is saying to him, this is your cause too, that this being peace between the United States and Vietnam, this has to be your cause as well. Um, and I'm calling you to join me in this, this work for peace. Uh, and, and he's making the point that it is not different work. 
than the the rooted work of civil rights in the South in the United States, and um, and of course King agrees with this. Uh, he already agrees with this. He had not come out uh, about the war explicitly as he did um, with his. Uh, beyond Vietnam speech uh, in 1967 at Riverside, his sermon at Riverside Church in New York, uh, but he was on his path already, and and so it, it is interestingly it's a both and um, both these men became what what uh, Thich Nhat Hanh would call world citizens, uh, what Martin Luther King Jr. would say means living in the world house. So they they were no longer confined to their loyalties to their religion, their country, their uh, race, um, and they didn't abandon their loyalties to those things. So they, uh, so King, it really confounded a lot of people by yes. being, right by having his uh, deep commitment to Black America and uh, and poor America and America in terms of becoming a just exponent of the beloved community and he became a world citizen this is very hard for some people to accept exactly i want to remind our listeners i'm here with bishop mark andrus and by the way he spells mark m a r c mark andrus a n d r u s so Please uh, look him up in that way. And and his recent book is Brothers in the Beloved Community, The Friendship of Thich Nhat Hanh and Martin Luther King Jr. And it's it's quite you take us on quite a ride with this with this uh, book and all the research and all the connections that you have with it. So um, I wanted to remind ourselves that I'm here with Bishop Mark, and I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Bishop Mark Andrus, author of Brothers in the Beloved Community, The Friendship of Thich Nhat Hanh and Martin Luther King Jr. I just want to say, in that letter also that Thich Nhat Hanh sent to Martin Luther King, it was um, putting another view 
on what the burning up of someone sitting there and burning themselves up. Here in the West, we would say, oh, these people were committing suicide for this cause. But it wasn't that. Thich Nhat Hanh was helping us to understand the larger point of this. And it kind of, in some ways, odd way, it comes into nonviolence in some very, very odd way. Can you describe that and help us understand? What Thich Nhat Hanh wrote, uh, and this was, you, as you describe it, uh, Justine, um, exactly how it hit the consciousness of the West and of the world, was a shocking example of suicide. And um, so we reject that in Christianity, actually Buddhism as well, uh, overall, um, and uh, there's a there's a heavy, heavy um, opprobrium on suicide in the world. It's a it's a tragedy. It's lost. And what he said, what Thich Nhat Hanh said, is this was not suicide. This was really, if you could say, the opposite of suicide. This was an act of compassion and courage. And he gives the example that um, monks when they are ordained in um, strands of Buddhism, China, Southeast Asia, uh, that there's a ritual burning. Small spots on the skin are, uh, the the monk uh, grasps a a hot um, object and uh, small circles are burned on the skin. Uh, Painful. But he makes the point that this is just the totality of that. So it's loyalty to your cause that you take to the ultimate. Um, This is still hard. Uh, One of my dissertation uh, committee members, a a deeply um, faithful and tremendously compassionate and scholarly Western person, still doesn't get this. He doesn't buy this. Uh, in, In all of my research, this is the part he doesn't buy. Why does King buy it? Why does King accept this? And they put out a joint statement together, Thich Nhat Hanh and Martin Luther King Jr. after this letter. And in that statement, uh, King and Nhat Hanh recognize the immolations, the self-immolations of these monks and nuns as, as they called it, martyrs, that these people were martyrs. So how is it that he's able to see this? I, I think that what has happened is that Martin Luther King has taken so many faithful steps in his own journey by that point that he knows that the next step might be like lighting the match for his own self-immolation. In other words, um, much as I see Jesus, uh, I do not believe that God willed Jesus to die. Uh, that's old, that's it, you know common theology. The the Father, the God, the Father demanded the death of the Son as a sacrifice of a perfect being for the world. No, I I think that Jesus, not supernaturally, yes, Son of God, but in a very human way, he saw that every time he took a step in faithfulness to the compassion of his life, he put himself more and more in the crosshairs of the Roman Empire. So, So the next step would be like lighting the match. 
for your own death. And and so we know that when Martin Luther King uh, arrived at April the 3rd, the day before his assassination, um, 1968, and he preached at um, at Mason Church in, in Memphis, he's talking about uh, uh, martyrdom. And he's he's explicit about it. Well, he, he's referring to it because uh, he says, I have been to the mountaintop. And that's a reference, of course, to Moses, who is a great prophet and who who dies before he can reach the promised land. And what he's saying is, uh, that's that's myself. Uh, I, I recognize that I have taken the steps that will lead to my death. Uh, so he's able from that place that most of us have not been, right? I have not been to that place. Um, I have tried to be a faithful person in the causes of justice, but I have not been to that place. But he was inhabiting a place where he was so on the path of the, the martyr that he could recognize martyrdom. He could recognize the truth of what Thich Nhat Hanh was saying about these monks and nuns. But Bishop Mark, the, the root word of martyr is actually, I think, witness. I think witness. you bring this up in your work. So let's talk about if if one is being martyred to it, there's also that aspect of it. Completely true. Uh, that, thank you for bringing that up. So Thich Nhat Hanh himself was not martyred in the terms of what we call blood martyrdom in, in Christianity. but he lived a life of utter witness. And, and um, you know, as one New Testament scholar has said again about Jesus, you can't believe in the resurrection of a person whose life doesn't support the idea of resurrection. In other words, an untruthful person, a, a violent person, and then suddenly we claim that this person has been resurrected I'm not going to buy it. But a person who has been a witness with their whole life, faithfully, beautifully, then even though it strains credulity, I might believe it. Uh, and so Thich Nhat Hanh is a martyr uh, in the sense of witness. And it's completely faithful witness, right? All the way to age 95. Um, he he stays on this path. When I went to interview, when I went to meet him in Vietnam in the summer of 2019, of course, he could not speak or walk or write by that time because of his stroke in 2014. Um, the nuns who lived next door to the monastery where he was, one of the young nuns, she was probably no older than 17 or 18, said to me, I am grateful to be living in a revolution that Thai, the, the term they use for Thich Nhat Hanh, is conducting without words. So I am grateful to live in a revolution that Thai is conducting without words. And what she meant by that was his commitment to gender equality. He had begun ordaining women to uh, as Buddhist uh, nuns, uh, ordaining them in the 1950s and the early 1960s before he's exiled. And that was unheard of in Buddhism. Unheard of. Unheard know, of. It was, yeah. Very rare. And and he returns to a Vietnam where, where it's still exceptional, and he resumes that work 
as a deeply um, disabled person from his strokes, but he, he's still committed. So the witness is so clear in his life. I mean, you know, he he just stays true to to this vision of the beloved community. He he also was known for the what we term now engaged Buddhism, that he was encouraging the monastic monks to get out in and serve directly the in that beloved community that we're talking about. He, Again, re- revolutionary, as you say, Justine. Uh, it, so engaged Buddhism. Um, he wasn't the only person to begin that, but he was a pioneer and perhaps the main leader in that movement to to break open the walls that had been self-erected around monasticism, uh, mostly male monasticism in in Southeast Asia, Buddhism. So um, you know this is this is indeed revolutionary because it's spiritual as well what he's saying is that nirvana um the the ultimate uh, release and the 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 realm of um uh, of beatitude in buddhism is not some realm beyond this life it is deeply in this life um and and you can find you can experience nirvana at any moment in 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 your life this is totally in accord with the Buddha's teaching, but he's recovering the truth of the Buddha's teaching. Um, just as with Christianity, um, we had created exclusive enclaves of special Christians who were apart from other Christians, monks, nuns, ordained people, and they they had access to a holiness of life that the ordinary Christian didn't have. Same with Buddhism. And Thich Nhat Hanh is completely turning that over and saying, no, it's uh, holiness is shot through every aspect of ma- the material world. And you find it by acts of compassion in that world, not apart from that world. Yes. That reminds me, I'm thinking also going to the beloved community and talking about uh, like specifically, I believe Thich Nhat Hanh said this, and I know the Dalai Lama has said this. He said, uh, both of them have said, um, the leadership is not going to be resurrected and then coming back. And like the Dalai Lama said, I'm the last Dalai Lama. It's something else will take its place. And this, Bishop Mark, takes us back to the beloved community as this it it's like a collective mm. that will be leading us and leading us in a very different configuration than the hierarchy you know, mm. of patriarchy mm-hmm. uh, any thoughts on on that yes uh, so specifically um there is a belief in buddhism in in mahayana buddhism which you referenced earlier to um in a future buddha and that Buddha is Maitreya Buddha. And what Thich Nhat Hanh said was, I believe that Maitreya Buddha will not come uh, as an individual, but as the Sangha, the, the body of all faithful Buddhists. That will be the next Buddha. And coupled with that, he said, I am not selecting a person to succeed me, a person in his community. So he has communities 
that um, followed his teachings all over the world. Um, the main one, of course, being in France. Um, but unlike great Buddhist teachers previous to him, he does. He is specifically not saying that there will not be a person succeeding him, but rather that that responsibility and the privilege of holding that dharma, that teaching, that body of teaching, will be all of all of the peoples. And so, if you combine these two ideas, Maitreya Buddha as all the sangha, and um, you can see that he's giving the beloved community to all of us. Exactly, exactly. I'm here with Bishop Mark Andrus, and he is the author of Brothers in the Beloved Community, The Friendship of Thich Nhat Hanh and Martin Luther King Jr. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Bishop Mark Andrus. He is talking about this extraordinary relationship between Martin Luther King and Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, the Buddhist monk. And even though they only met on very few occasions, I mean, I think only two occasions, they became what you call brothers and continued to be checking in with one another and when you were bishop in Alabama, mm -hmm. I remember you're writing about, um, I mean, you were right in the place that so much history of civil rights had taken place there in Birmingham. And the house that you were housed in was called the Carpenter House after C.C. Carpenter. Mm -hmm. And he was wonderful in himself. But Going back to the time when you were there, you heard the talk that Congressman, the late Congressman John Lewis gave. You actually heard it. And you heard the words, beloved community, that he was talking about yes. in, in that talk. How did that affect you? And what sparked you when you heard that? Because it seems like that became a theme in your own life. It very much did. Um, the context of his um, sermon, where he mentioned beloved community, was um, a pilgrimage that we host every year in the Episcopal Diocese of Alabama, down in Lowndes County, uh, which was the the birth of the um, Black Panther Party, Freedom Party, and uh, that was a voting rights organization of Black people in Lowndes County. Uh, seeking to assert themselves in the face of white supremacy, the um, the symbol for the white Democratic Party at that time was a white rooster, and their motto uh, on that logo was explicit. It was white supremacy. So the Black Panther uh, Freedom Party 
was born there in Lowndes County and um, a white, young white seminarian from um, New Hampshire who was a student at the Episcopal Divinity School in Cambridge, Massachusetts, was martyred uh, in Lowndes County, uh, saving the life of a young black activist, Ruby Sales, who is an extraordinary person uh, to this day. Um, and we have this pilgrimage every year to remember all the martyrs in the civil rights movement in Alabama and including Jonathan Daniels. Um, and it was in that context, I, I would invite a different preacher each year and Congressman Lewis came to preach. And so it, it's a very um, full of meaning. Uh, we, we hold the Eucharist in the courthouse where uh, Jonathan Daniels murderer was tried and released. He never served a day in jail. Um, and and we turn that over and in that space. So it's a very holy, a sacred moment, a sacred space of martyrdom. Uh, he was martyred right a few steps from the courthouse uh, after they were let out of the jail where they had been jailed in August. And uh, Congressman Lewis preachings uh, talked about the beloved community. I had never heard the term before. I didn't know the deep commitment that um, Martin Luther King Jr. had to the beloved community, nor Howard Thurman before him, nor Thich Nhat Hanh. But I heard the phrase, and, and as Annie Dillard said about a point in her life, it was as if I had been picked up like a bell and rung. I, I felt it reverberate through me without knowing much about it at all. Uh, and that was the summer that um, Sheila, my wife, and I moved to California. Uh, for me to become Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of California. And if you will, I brought that resonating term with me. And we started talking about it here in the Bay Area. Could we understand and could we manifest the beloved community? Could that be what we might do? And so for the past 17 years, uh, I've been seeking to, to do those two things, understand it more and embody it more with with other people. I want to ask about the beloved community and and just how you conceive it and is this divinely inspired like I'm trying to grasp it because it's not purely secular I think. Uh I I may be wrong about that. And no, then, you're right. Then something, then we kind of resist that and we say, oh no, we can only do our work in civil rights or, mm -hmm. or the rights of, of all people and peace and justice. And that's not secular, but there's this kind of thread that runs mm -hmm. through. Please help us um, well, to understand it. That's it. Again, you, you <laughs> asked the most marvelous questions. Um, so, it's uh, I make this concept too too complex. As one person said to me, it is a world at peace. Okay, the beloved community is a world at peace, but that then implies some things, or maybe raises some more questions. What what would a world at peace look like? Well, it would look like a place where we were in mutual relationships of all subjects not some subjects and a bunch of objects, right? That's the world we live in now. We live in a world where some people are objects. The earth is an object. They do not have the same standing that I do. 
uh, and thus they're available to me to be used and abused. And this is the this is the prevailing worldview in the world now. And so the beloved community is is quite different than that. It's a place where all those objects suddenly emerge as equal to each other and and what uh, binds them together so it's a as, as dr king said it's a deeply interconnected world but the interconnection we can interconnect you and i can connect over many things we could connect over our mutual dislike of something or our mutual fear of something or our mutual desire to profit from something you know we can we can see um that people enrich themselves by connecting with each other and making common cause. So interconnection by itself is not sacred and it's not holy. But the interconnection that creates the beloved community is love. And, and you referred to overflowing love in the beginning, and that's how I translate the kind of love that Thich Nhat Hanh and Martin Luther King were talking about. It, it's uh, sometimes called unconditional love. It's sometimes called sacrificial love. And those are true, but I was looking for a way to talk about it that's not negation, unconditional. So it's not not conditional. It's not sacrificial giving up something. It's overflowing love. And that creates the beloved community. So if you and I are connected by love, that is different than being connected by profit desire or by fear or by hatred. We're connected by love. And a world connected by love, at peace with itself, is the beloved community. And it, and each of the people who held the teachings of the beloved community, the lineage of the beloved community, has helped us, each of those people has helped us understand more about it. So uh, Thich Nhat Hanh helped us understand that it's not just between people. It also includes the earth. And in fact, for him, the cosmos. Um, he helped us understand that women and men were equally in the beloved community. Um, you know, so each of these people has illuminated. They didn't make that happen. They uncovered the truth of that. So this was the beloved community. And you asked, um, the, the, the person who coined the term, Josiah Royce, uh, originally born, uh, born and raised in Grass Valley, California, in uh, the 1870s, is, he he went to UC Berkeley when it was only a like a ten year old institution. Mm -hmm. He got his PhD, the fourth PhD only that had been granted at Johns Hopkins University. I mean, you know, we're we're such a young country, and he was part of such a young expression of this country. Um, he coined the term, and um, he is the one who said it is a world connected by love um, and that it was a world of peace with itself. But there was a lot he didn't see about it. Um, he, he didn't understand that it was a nonviolent world. So he wrote his book about it in 1913 at the, just before World War I, I begins. And he embraced, uh, not embraced, but he he believed that that war was a necessary war, right? So, but the next person who held the lineage of the beloved community said, no, no, it is a nonviolent world. Um, you know, so each person has helped us un uncover. Was that Howard Thurman then? Was the um, next person? A.J. Musty. Oh, right. Yes. And then yes. Thurman, um, Thurman called 
the Fellowship of Religion, which was kind of the container organization, a peace organization, international peace organization, he called them to task and said, you can't advocate for peace internationally if you ignore the racial inequality wow. in our own country. Yeah. So he he said, you've got to pay attention to that. What I'm getting from all that you have spoken here is that there is a non-material component to the beloved community is what i'm getting it's a right. it's like a thread uh, an energy a process that's going through it that is beyond the material right beyond the well, us and them and beyond uh, all of that say you well, and specifically you you asked and i was i got caught up in <laughs> what josiah royce did but but he specifically to your question justine he said the beloved community is of divine origin. Okay, so people can be really uncomfortable with that. I, I completely understand that. But here's the beauty of it. It's not a product made by us. Uh, it depends on our loyalty. We can damage it, but we, we, it doesn't depend on us. And that's, to me, a great gift. And in other words, it's beyond me. At one level, and he, and Roy says the beloved community itself helps us. In in other words, it's an agent. It, it has action, uh, and it's it, that is entirely mysterious to me. It's the idea of this vastness that is more than even just the earth, um, and in its deep interconnected quality, it is also active for its own health. So uh, the idea that um, the whole is present in each of the parts of the whole. Okay, that's a really interesting idea. And it's one that Thich Nhat Hanh believed in, that, that the whole, the universe, is present in every particle of the universe. Uh, well, if that's true, and the universe is love, if, if God is love, then the way that the whole relates to you, Justine, or to me, Mark, or to any part of the whole is by means of love. And so we can believe that the beloved community is acting, uh, is durable, it cannot be destroyed, and it's active in the cause of compassion. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm here with Bishop Mark Andrus, and you, you're just filling my heart uh, with with this thread of the divine that runs through everything. So I just want to remind people, he is the author of Brothers in the Beloved Community. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Bishop Mark Andrus. And by the way, he spells his name M-A-R-C-A-N-D-R-U-S, Mark Andrus. And what we were talking about, it reminds me of something that you have said that it just, I, I loved reading what you said about prayer. And you say prayer is an antidote to egotism, to the delusion that all depends on our own efforts. So that kind of, for me, dovetails with what you were talking about, this divine quality that's running through everything. So prayer helps us to not depend on our own personal efforts. Please elaborate on that for us. I I want to know more of. Mm. Well, thank you. Prayer is uh, something that's held by all of the earth, isn't it? Um, Every every religion, every spiritual tradition has something like prayer. And um, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's approach to prayer, I think, is really helpful for a Christian like me who was raised praying. Um, he talks about prayer. One of his wonderful metaphors is the wave and the ocean. And um, the wave sometimes might think of itself as the whole picture, right? Uh, Here I am, the wave, I've got this dynamism, but it's always part of this vast, um, vastness, the ocean, the sublime. And what Thich Nhat Hanh says is every moment of our lives, we have the ability, as he puts it, to touch the ultimate. Well, that's prayer. Um, the ability to touch the ultimate. And it's available to every being at every moment. So, so um, you know, you don't have to be in a, in a particular spot, um, in a particular religious uh, context. Uh, you, you can touch the ultimate at any time, in any place, um, whoever you are. It's completely open to each of us. Well, that is a beautiful idea of prayer to me. It it holds all kinds of prayer, um, you know, Buddhist prayer wheels and prayer uh, flags and mantras, but also uh, Christians uh, praying for the healing of somebody they love, praying for their own lives, praying for peace in the world. Um, all of that is contained. But if we think of it as, as a fundamental definition of prayer, the ability to touch the ultimate. Um, that, I think, is is um, such a beautiful gift. It surely is, surely is. Going back to that time that you spent in Alabama, and you would have these annual gatherings, and part of that gathering was to really grieve and to acknowledge the martyrs of of the movement, especially of the civil rights movement that was happening at that time and continues to happen, I must say. Thich Nhat Hanh, when he, he was exiled from Vietnam for many, many years because of his um, view of the, the war in Vietnam, which actually took place long before it was happening, long before the U.S. entered. It was already at war for almost a decade, I think. The North and the South are already there. 
And one of the things that he did in coming back when he was allowed back, he said that there was one thing he wanted from from the government and that or from the central church at that time, even though now the whole country was under the communist rule. But it did have some church, one central church, and it was a Buddhist church. And mm-hmm. he said um, he wanted that there be a ritual for grief from all the people who had lost their lives and who were, were missing. Uh, so it, tell us about his asking for that and, and what was the result of that? Yes, uh, Justine, that is a um, a piece of the research, p- piece of the book that is part of this untold story. Um, and it captures the imagination of so many people when they he- read about it, because um, it- it's an unknown story and it's so beautiful. Um, so, you know, the, the government in, in Vietnam was uneasy with him coming back. Um, he's beloved, he's revered, um, respected. And yet, um, not not easily controllable. Um, <laughs> you know, he he not the party line, uh, and so on. And he made his own requirement, as you say, that he would be allowed to go sort of region by region in the country and invite people who had lost people. And by lost, I mean lost, like in the disappeared people in South America. The their husbands, their sons, their brothers, their lovers their, um, uh, had disappeared, uh, certainly killed. But their whereabouts maybe not even known, their bodies and how they died. And, you know, that trauma just is an open wound. And um, he created a ritual where people could come and, and mourn. And there are many accounts uh, of people having spiritual healing in those rituals uh, where they were visited. They they tell the accounts where they were visited by their lost loves, um, their lost family members who appeared to them, who, who were felt by them. And there was a, a healing that took place. And it, it's an extraordinary story. Um, and it it points to something that he believed very firmly, which is that the 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 love in our lives never dies, and that it is active in the world. Uh, so this is you know it's a fundamental idea in Christianity and in uh, Mahayana Buddhism that the great lights of the world continue their work of love and liberation beyond death. Uh, so this is not a it's not a revolutionary idea, but it's one that we don't live with all the time. And, you know, this was a motivating idea in my research is when he said, when Thich Nhat Hanh said in 2014, reflecting on Dr. King's death, his assassination, after he made this extraordinary statement, the end of it was, he said, I have always felt his support. I have always felt his support. So he's always felt Martin's support. And I I wondered, my question for myself was, what did he mean by that? Did he mean that he just remembered him and that gave him comfort? He read his sermons or the letters they exchanged, their memories of their meetings together, and that gave him strength and comfort? 
Or did he mean literally a living being still active in the world and able to, to be compassionate and helpful? And I concluded very firmly the latter. He believed that that Dr. King was still living, still active, still, as he called it, called him a bodhisattva, a, a, a Buddhist saint who is vowed to work for the liberation of all beings until all beings are liberated. Uh, so that, of course, goes long beyond our mortal lives. And I think he firmly believed that. And interestingly, the great um, activist, uh, nonviolent activist David Hartsaw here in San Francisco, told a story in my presence. Again, he repeated it yesterday um, when I was with him with a group of about 25 people. Um, he was a 15 years old, I think, when when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And several years later, he was a young activist, nonviolent activist. He was in uh, Switzerland, sitting on a bench, contemplating with his eyes closed, and he felt a hand on his shoulder. And he knew it was Martin Luther King Jr. And then he heard Martin's voice say to him, David, I know the work for nonviolence and peace is hard. And I want to tell you, I will always be with you. Wow. And this is what Thich Nhat Hanh experienced. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's and, what we can experience. And I was going to say, it's it's a living presence. I I think of indigenous people really yes. teaching us about all, calling on the ancestors. Yes, and, exactly. And like Martin Luther King and and so many others, Thich Nhat Hanh himself, they they are our ancestors in they this work. Yes. That, so I I really uh, appreciate that story and that assurance i feel assurance that we are connected beyond um beyond the material there is mm -hmm. so much available to us i want to thank you there's so much more we could talk about i love being with you thank you so much you. thank you it's thank really you beautiful. I want to let our listeners know that if you want to know more about the the work of Bishop Mark Andrus, you can go to a website. It's called deocal.org, and I'd spell that D-I as in diocese, D-I-O-Cal as in California, C-A-L dot org slash bishop, D-I-O-C-A-L dot org slash bishop. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. And let's collectively know each of us can begin our own circle of beloved community. It's something easy to do. Call together two or three, four people together and, and support one another in this great work of coming together for the betterment of all humankind. Beautiful. Before I go, I just want to remind people that the book that has so inspired me and inspired this interview is called Brothers in the Beloved Community, The Friendship of Thich Nhat Hanh and Martin Luther King Jr. So with that, I want to say I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and you've been listening to New Dimensions.
This is program number 3786. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.